you're just taught how easy it is to get pregnant. Like, oh my gosh, look at these teenagers. Look at these frogs. Look at like every single thing. Look around. Everyone is reproducing and having babies. And you're like, what is wrong with me? What's wrong with my body? Am I defective? Is something wrong? Or is this just, oh, what the heck, man? Been There, Injected That is a TMI podcast about going through infertility and all the hormone injections, awkward moments, and nervous breakdowns along the way. I'm Elise Ash. Hi everyone, welcome to Been There, Injected That. This is the very first episode of our new podcast and we're so excited to have you listening in. Today we have a very special guest helping tell our personal story about infertility and everything that we went through and also inspired us to create fruitful fertility. So here with me today is my husband, Brad. Hey, how's it going, everyone? We're really happy to have you here, especially since you were 50% of that experience. And often I think women are the ones who kind of end up telling that story. And I just think it's gonna be really awesome for us both to tell it together. Absolutely. And I'm sure we have different (laughs) interpretations of how things went and- Yeah, maybe a little bit. (laughs) Probably a little bit. So I think what we should do is talk a little bit about ourselves, our relationship, you know, before we started going through infertility and IVF, and we started this long, long journey and how that kind of changed us as people. But I'd love to start at the beginning and just talk a little bit about how we met. Yeah, so we met at work in Arlington, Virginia, at a job that didn't pay well, didn't really provide any life experience, any job experience. Uh, (laughs) We were basically just a bunch of young 20-somethings in charge of a marketing department that didn't really do anything except sell conferences. It was awful. and uh, It was not that bad. It was just an excuse for us all to go out to happy hour and hang out. That part was fun. Make a little bit of money to pay the rent and have fun as a 20-year-old. Pretty much. Yeah. The best part was that we met each other. We met each other. It was a professional setting, but we were kind of flirty friends, but took a little while for it to develop into a, a romance but it was definitely one of those like teenage awkward like I had a crush on Brad and then I told our friend like maybe see tell him and like see what he thinks and she's like bad news Lisa he does not like you and I was like okay cool glad to know that's what's yeah it was a classic I would just <laughs> going like on. I would make fun of you and push you off the monkey bars because I liked you on the playground you oh know my gosh such a dangerous narrative but <laughs> <laughs> yes that was kind of the dynamic and we didn't know back then <laughs> we know better now <laughs> we do know better now this was 2007 times were different um but it was definitely one of those we each kind of liked each other and it took a little while to develop and we did get to know each other as friends and colleagues first absolutely so that, that was kind of the basis of our relationship, which I like to think is still professional and based on friendship and all that kind of good stuff. So I think when we worked together, we really got to know each other personally and as friends and developed that kind of trust and bond. And we liked working together too, which was kind of an underlying current throughout our professional lives as well, because Brad, you're a developer. Yeah, I'm- build apps and websites. And my background is really in marketing and advertising. And so our skills, while very different, still work well together. I think that's kind of symbolic of the way we work, where we both have very different personalities, very different approaches to life. Brad is way more optimistic than I am, way more chill than I am. And I'm sort of the the anxious, monkey-minded person who knows what time we have to be at dinner, knows where we have to park, knows what's going on, and is probably a little bit too type A. But together, 
we make up one functioning person. One of those personality styles is really well equipped for dealing with infertility, and one is not. Guess which one. Um, so that's a great segue into kind of how we struggled through infertility. And first of all, I mean, our relationship, we were together seven years before we started trying to have kids. So most of our relationship was spent going on trips and going to baseball games and having fun and hanging out and hosting. And we were both really social people. And I think a huge part of our relationship was a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, we were both doing well professionally and we had, you know, just double income, no kids, and we're doing whatever we wanted and carving out our path in life. And yeah, we lived in an affordable city. We live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So shout out to Minneapolis. And that really allowed us a lot of flexibility financially to explore things that we really wanted to explore when we were young and travel, try new things. Brad got really into woodworking. We were just like, you know, late 20s, figuring it out and you enjoying watch life. one episode of Parks and Rec and all of a sudden. <laughs> you are not Ron you're Swanson. You're trying to build a canoe. <laughs> you did make some really cute canoe paddles, though. Almost there. Pretty much the same thing. Yeah. I think we'd all agree. Same level of effort. So we were up the creek with one canoe paddle, <laughs> but no canoe. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> one day. Anyway, so we were living our best lives, quote unquote, not without like little inconveniences, but overall with no major struggle. And then all of a sudden, we decided, okay, it's it's time. It's time to have kids. And Brad, do you remember ever wanting to be a dad or do you remember a moment when you were like I want to be a dad or not really yeah I thought early on I mean I always thought that I was going to be one of the first people my friends to get married and have kids I was just always kind of wanted that stereotypical American dream lifestyle Um, so I always wanted kids probably at a younger age than a lot of guys do and you know it was kind of knew once I found my person that eventually we would decide what was the right time for us. But, you know, there wasn't any impatience on having kids, but it was always a desire. Yeah, I feel like we'd always talked pretty abstractly about it, like openly and said, you know, I want kids, I want kids. But we never really, you know, shared anything concrete about when or anything until, do you remember the day that we decided that we wanted to start trying? Yeah, we had dinner with two of our best friends, and they told us that they were pregnant, and we went home, and we had already been talking about when we wanted to start trying. It was kind of like, well, they're in it. Like, let's jump in. I remember that was the very first moment in what would be a string of moments and times. That was the first time that I really felt jealous of somebody else when they told me they were pregnant. Like, up until that point, any time a friend had told me they were expecting, I was just really happy for them. And then when my friend told us that news, I was so overcome with emotion, I think for a couple different reasons. Um, First of all, I didn't know that they were trying. So it felt sort of like a surprise for me. We had talked also abstractly about, oh, wouldn't it be fun to be pregnant together? And I always thought, oh my gosh, it'd be so cool to do like prenatal yoga together. And I think when she told me that she was pregnant, I felt like, oh my gosh, she got on the ride and she didn't tell me she was getting on the ride, which... You know, she doesn't owe me any of that information. It was just sort of an emotional shock for me. And I think I was just really overcome with a lot of different feelings. And I remember we left dinner, Brad and I, and we were walking to the car and I was being kind of quiet. And I remember you saying, you know, hey, are you okay? And I was like, this is going to sound super weird, but I'm having some jealous feelings around 
the pregnancy. And you said, oh. me too. You said, oh my gosh, me too. And I was like, what? You're having a feeling that's crazy. We're having the same feeling that never happens. That's like, oh my gosh, that's like a leap year or something. So that was really, I remember that night was the night that I stopped taking birth control. So basically started very aggressively charting, keeping track of everything. And I don't know if it's because that's my personality or because I had an instinct or an intuition that something was wrong. I think it was also weird because you're just, you don't get pregnant that first month and you feel like you're, you've been pumping your body full of hormones since you were in high school, as most women in this country do, to not get pregnant. And then all of a sudden you stop. Like there's this fear that I could get pregnant if I just look at someone too hard. And then all of a sudden it's not happening immediately. And you're like, wait, what? I think that's a lot of the shame actually that comes with infertility is you're just taught how easy it is to get pregnant. Like, oh my gosh, look at these teenagers. Look at these frogs. Look at like every single thing. Look around. Everyone is reproducing and having babies. And you're like, what is wrong with me? What's wrong with my body? Am I defective? Is something wrong? Or is this just... Oh, what the heck, man? Yeah, you're taught that the default is you get pregnant just living your life. And you have to work hard to not get pregnant. Well, and you're not, well, I was never taught. Maybe some people were taught, but I was never taught even if you have two perfectly fertile people and they have sex the exact perfect time, the exact perfect day, the exact perfect temperature, cervical mucus, whatever, you still only have a 25 to 30% chance of getting pregnant. Even if you're like 100% healthy. That's crazy. Yeah. So that was something that I think also part of the infertility shock is just there's a really steep learning curve because, you know, I remember taking, we had sex ed. I went to, we both went to school in suburban DC, Northern Virginia. And I remember like we did health class, sure, in sixth, seventh, eighth grade. But that was pretty much it. And I don't remember, I hardly remembered anything. It was all like new to me. I didn't know. A woman was born with all the eggs she would ever have. That's crazy. What? I feel like, how did I just learn that when I was 32? Yeah, for someone who never really enjoyed science class and in, in you, uh, you really became quite the biology student overnight. Yeah, I was just really curious about how my body worked and probably a little bit obsessive as well with trying to feel like I could control some element of infertility. And I think also there was an element of like, I just intuitively knew something probably wasn't right. And I didn't know what and I didn't know why, which we would later get a diagnosis. Um, but at the time, I didn't really know what was going on yet. I was still really just coping with like the emotional struggles of infertility and having to deal with a lot of friends getting pregnant and sharing their pregnancies, um, dealing with our marriage as well, which at that time was not great. It started great and then it slowly degraded. We've talked quite a bit about this, but... Looking back, I think the, the main tension in that first year of trying to conceive was really me insisting that there was a problem and that things weren't right and something was wrong and I didn't know what and I was a total mess and blowing up all my friendships and being tough to bring to public events because if someone asked, do you have kids? Or if someone you know, announced a surprise pregnancy, you know, it made it really hard for me to be around. I think it made it hard for Brad too. So it was really just, we were not, I was so stressed and you were so not stressed, which just pissed me off more. Like, get stressed with me. Be on my level, dude. It pissed you off. And I was dealing with, I don't know if this is the right word, but it was the loss of my happy partner in a sense, which, um, you know, is not, 
it wasn't necessarily something that I held against you. Um, but it was more that, oh, we used to just be carefree and go out and go to concerts and go to bars and do whatever. And then going there and you were a different person because you were distracted. You were focused on what was most important to you in life. And to me, I compartmentalize and I'm able to say, this thing is a bummer, but I'm doing a fun activity right now and I'm in the moment here. And that's not how you operate. And it took me a long time and it took us a lot of conversation to realize that we just function on two very different levels emotionally. Right. And I felt totally insane because you were you were essentially calling me crazy. No, I don't think you ever said you're crazy or you're being crazy. But no, I did but... feel like you were totally ignoring my very valid feelings of stress and lack, lack of control and, you know, all that stuff. I absolutely was. And I wanted you to just put those on the shelf and say, hey, let's just go have fun. Yeah, you wanted me to be a cool girl. You wanted me like YOLO, like still drink at the bar and like put my, you know, head out of the top of the limo. Not like we've ever done that one time, <laughs> but metaphorically. Man, that was a great night. <laughs> <laughs> we've never one time done that. Um, no, but I think that was where a lot of the conflict came in was you were wanting me to like turn off this part of my brain or like turn off some part of me and just... Elise, why can't you just be grateful? Why can't you just look at around? Look at it. Look at our awesome life. Look at our house. Look at our relationship. Look at we get to do whatever we want. Look how awesome. And I just could not see any of that. Yeah, and and I and I was after a while. I started to take it. Man, personally, is the wrong word. Like I was, I was resentful of the fact that you weren't appreciative of all the things we had going well for us. And it took me a while and us talking a lot and breaking down some of those walls to realize that's not what it was about. I mean, that was what was so awkward about when we were going through infertility, too, is we'd be at a wedding for one of your friends or at a birthday party for a friend, and somebody else would be like, surprise, we're pregnant, and I would literally start crying. Yeah, that was, I mean, I would... <laughs> like, actually start crying in that moment at the party, and people were like, what is wrong with Elise? And I would dread those moments of going to a social event where I knew that might happen, because for me, it was like this ticking time bomb, where if something went off... I knew our night was over. So in general, I think it was just a really tough time to be around me and for our relationship and also for a lot of my friendships. I mean, that was the toughest part, to be honest. Like, sure, hormone injections are terrible and invasive medical tests are not fun. But honestly, the hardest part was feeling really unsupported by people who were always able to support me before. You know, I always had really strong friendships, people who could empathize with me if there were job changes or we moved or there was some kind of drama with Brad and me. Like I just felt like I had a bunch of people in my corner and everyone was terrified of me and was so scared of saying the wrong thing and didn't know what to say, didn't know how to support me. Um, and it was just a really tough time, I think, to be my friend. And that was really the idea behind Fruitful. And we'll talk more about that uh, later at the end of this podcast. Um, I want to keep talking about our experience with infertility. So we tried on our own for about a year and a half before we went to a fertility clinic. I had gone to an OBGYN and had been prescribed Clomid, which is kind of step one in infertility diagnoses and you know, just trying to figure out what's wrong and troubleshoot pretty quickly. But I never had an ultrasound. I didn't have a lot of tests. No one had checked my AMH. There were a lot of things that we didn't know. It was pretty much go to the OB. They asked, you know, how old were you when you got your period? How are your periods? Are they painful? How long are they? And I was like, no, pretty normally painful. 28 days, pretty normal. Um, and the OB was like, here's your prescription for Clomid. Go nuts. Try this for three months. See what happens. 
Clomid is OBGYN's thoughts and prayers for people that are first <laughs> trying to get pregnant. <laughs> totally. Now, side note, I am not a doctor, but I have not met anyone in this large community that has been like, I got Clomid for my OB and it worked first time. There, there are a few, but it is definitely not a common outcome. It's a disproportional amount of like, this is something you should try for three months to people it actually helps. Exactly. And it, the other thing about Clomid is that it makes you crazy bananas bonkers. That was worse than all of the IVF meds. I swear to God. Clomid made me so much harder to be around and very sweaty. I feel like I was having night sweats a lot. Anyway. It felt like when we initially went to the OB that it was, let's just check the boxes and let's not actually see if something's wrong with you. Right. Um, which is a, a strange thing. You know, when you go to an orthopedist, they are going to take x-rays or an MRI. They're going to actually examine what's wrong with your body. They're not going to look at a textbook and then make a decision about what to do. But you also don't know what you don't know. Like, looking back, of course, I would have been like, this is a weird OBGYN appointment. Maybe I should ask 900 follow-up questions. But at the time, like, you don't know. You're feeling really vulnerable. You're like, please let this not be anything important. Like, I didn't want to know. I didn't want to know my AMH. I didn't want to know my FSH. I didn't want to know any of that because if I knew there was a problem. Yeah, it's the Schrodinger's cat of infertility. Totally. Um, so I think there was an element of that, too. So after we went to the OB and we tried the Clomid, there were a couple months that passed. And then we went to our first fertility clinic appointment. Do you remember that first appointment? And do you remember how you felt? Yeah, you're walking into that. And it just feels so out of control and open-ended of the journey that you're about to embark on. And I know you're just walking in there initially for a consultation. And thank goodness that we decided to go and you pushed to go. I did. Yeah. And you made an appointment and a lot of these clinics book out pretty far in advance. So you made an appointment pretty early on after we realized that the OB was not going to be able to help us. Right. And then we went to the fertility clinic and one of the first tests they did was an ultrasound and we were with the ultrasound tech, and she said, uh, hold on one second, I'm, I'm going to get the doctor, I'll be right back. And that is something that you don't usually want to hear when you're having an ultrasound, because usually it means that there's something that they see that they need a physician to, to check on. So she went out, got our doctor, our doctor came in, and our doctor said, I will never forget this. She said, well, there's good news and bad news. She said, the good news is we know why you're not getting pregnant. And the bad news is you have cysts on your ovaries. You have endometriosis. And we left that appointment and I remember feeling so devastated and heartbroken and side, like blindsided because I hadn't even thought, like, what? how do you even know you have that? And endometriosis is a tricky disease because some people have very severe symptoms very early, like as early as their first period, they're on the floor of the bathroom and cannot go to class, can't do anything, are non-functioning. And then there are people who have endometriosis who don't even know that they have it. So it's a really bizarre disease where there's a huge spectrum of symptoms and amount of pain you can go through. So I was kind of processing this diagnosis and part of me felt very validated. Like I knew something was wrong, I just didn't know what. And now we know what you know what's going on and we can kind of work around it. So I have a lot of empathy for people who have unexplained infertility where Everything looks great on paper, and there's really no rhyme or reason why things aren't progressing the way they should. And I think that is a really tricky position to be in. And I felt 
you know, blessed to have an answer, but also just like devastated at the diagnosis. Yeah, I remember when the doctor came in and gave us that diagnosis, and um, I was part relieved that we knew what was going on, because like you, I like data. And also, I remember being frustrated at this process that we were over a year into it, and it was like, all we needed was an ultrasound. I mean, you literally had to take your shirt off and let someone rub some gel on your belly, and we knew the answer. Uh, Well, I mean, there's also a wand that goes up your hoo-ha. That too. <laughs> right. So it was, uh, it was frustrating that something so seemingly simple to diagnose took so long to get to. I will say I felt very validated when we got the diagnosis. I did feel like, told you so. There was part of me that was like, I knew something was wrong, and, but I didn't want to be right about that. So... I, I was just relieved that we knew what was wrong. And when you know what's wrong, then you can attempt to fix it. And as you said, unexplained infertility is really, uh, that's really difficult. Unexplained infertility is like the universe is just gaslighting you so hard. It's like, what? Nothing's wrong. Look, perfect sperm, great AMH, great eggs. Yeah, Everything's what's, awesome. What? What's wrong with you? Do you know, are you sure you're doing it are right? Are you doing sex <laughs> right? That is probably your problem. Yeah, that's that's tough. I'm, you know, and in, in all of this, I mean, I'm really uh, feel fortunate that we didn't have to go through that because that is just a whole other level of emotion. For sure. And after we got that diagnosis of endometriosis, we met again with our our reproductive endocrinologist, our RE, our, frater- our fertility doctor, and we were like, okay, what's the plan? What are we going to do next? I was like, do I have to get surgery for these cysts? Like, what are we doing? What's the game plan? You know, I was really excited. Like, okay, now what? What, 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 what? Now what? What's the plan? What's the plan? Um, And she said, you know, I don't recommend surgery for you specifically for these cysts because if something doesn't go right in the surgery, then we could end up damaging your ovaries and it could do a lot more damage than help. So do we start pursuing IUIs? That's usually the next step after Clomid. And an IUI stands for intrauterine insemination. And that's something that is lovingly referred to as the turkey baster method with a little bit more signs than that where you're still being pumped full of hormones and they're still tracking your follicles and making sure that you're ovulating at the correct time. But then they inseminate you with your husband, partner, donor's sperm at the exact right time. Long story short, we didn't have any IUIs. Um, and for a couple different reasons. So we asked about them, and our physician said, look, here's the deal with IUIs. They're great. They work really well for people with certain types of infertility. For you and your endometriosis, I don't think that an IUI is going to circumvent your issue. She said, I would give you about a 10% chance of success with an IUI. And granted, through all of this, we were paying entirely out of pocket. Our insurance didn't cover any infertility treatments. So we knew that each IUI, while cheaper than IVF, was still going to be about $1,500 a pop with meds and ultrasounds and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, the, the odds were so low. I mean, the cost, it just seemed like a bad bet. Skip the IUIs, decided to put the money that we would have spent on the IUIs towards IVF. Did our first round of IVF, and it didn't go, go very well. I mean, we pretty much followed the discre- uh, the direction that our RE gave us. Right. Um, and they laid out all of the risks and percentages and costs and how much everything else would be. And we weighed those and we weighed those with the costs of failed rounds and buying insurance and all of the options that go into this. Right. So because of that, we decided to do 
IVF, a frozen transfer, and we were going to do genetic testing as well. Did the retrieval, had seven eggs, of the seven, I think three fertilized, and of the three, two made it to blast. So that our two little embryos go off to be genetically tested, and they come back and they're both abnormal. So we don't even have an embryo to transfer. And you're getting ready to get on a flight to go to one of our best friends' bachelorette party weekends yes. in Colorado. Yes. I was not very, very fun at that party. I will tell you that. Um, that was that was the lowest. I think of everything we went through, like the lowest was getting that call about not having anything to transfer. Because I think I always knew that there was a chance that IVF wouldn't work. I'm not dumb. I knew that it wasn't a sure thing. But I didn't expect it to fail so early. Like I always thought we'd at least make it to a transfer. I thought maybe it wouldn't stick or maybe... I would have a miscarriage or something. Other horrible thing would happen. I have no shortage of ideas on how things can go sideways. But I just hadn't anticipated it failing so fast. That was a really low month or two. And then we went on a family vacation and we're all around my nephews who were so sweet and funny. And it just made me so epically sad. It just made me so sad. I just couldn't stop thinking about like, oh my gosh, we're never going to have a kid. And this is just... This is just what it's going to be. Like, guess we're going to be coolie and uncle, and I'm just going to have to make peace with that. At the same time, we went back for our follow-up appointment with our doctor, sometimes called a WTF appointment, where you kind of try to figure out, like, what went wrong or what happened. And, you know, we had that conversation, and she said, you know, honestly, I think it was just bad luck. She was like, I really think if we try again, we can do better. I'm going to adjust your protocol. I'm going to adjust some of the meds. Now we know how your body responded. I really think if we do it one more time, we'll be able to get something to transfer. Yeah, she she instilled a lot of confidence in us. And we had a great RE that we really trusted, Yeah. Um, which is an important part in this whole process is making sure that you advocate for yourself along every step. And if you don't feel that your RE has your best interest or that you trust them, then you should find someone else. And I think you were surprised that when we left that appointment, uh, because I had been so reluctant to even go to a clinic in the first place, um, that we were both pretty aligned without having to have much discussion about that second round. If anything, the second round, I felt like you were pushing for it harder than I was. I feel like I was very resigned and I was not in a great emotional place where I felt so heartbroken and disappointed I couldn't imagine going through it again I couldn't imagine like getting all the meds again doing all the injections again and having it fail again our first round I felt like we brought all of our friends along when it when it didn't work that was like hmm never mind never mind yeah the second round it was a lot more kept our cards close to the vest Welcome back to Been There, Injected That. We're talking about our own infertility journey, myself, Elise Ash, and my husband, Brad. And we are talking about our second round of IVF that went a lot better than our first round. A little bit. Uh, a little bit, much better. Um, so that first round, we had our seven eggs retrieved, uh, three of which fertilized, two made it to blast, both of which were abnormal. In our second round of IVF, we switched the protocol a little bit. We got a different... Um, protocol of our medications and we actually had a new medication added that first round seven eggs second round 17 eggs I remember waking up from that retrieval and being like wait 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 wait. what did you are you sure 
Are you sure they labeled that correctly? Is that my, are those my eggs? Yep. Yes, ma'am. 17. So went again from 17 eggs to 10 fertilized and of the 10, five made it to blast. And I was like, oh my God, we have five. That's double better. And I probably said something like, there's no way all five of those are genetically abnormal. And you probably threw a book at me. (laughs) Yeah, because you (laughs) You probably pointed to the door and said, get out. (laughs) You love taunting the universe. It's like your favorite thing. Come at me. Come at me. What's the worst that could happen? (laughs) I'm like, don't say that. The evil eye is watching. Everything is going to be jinxed. We control the universe with our words. You're like, no, we don't. Anyway, so we had our five blasts, our five embryos, and those went away to be genetically tested, and they came back, and we had three normal embryos. Three. Yeah, that was that was quite a load off. It was it was exciting, and I mean, we were happy and crying and overjoyed and all the things. I mean, you were so pumped full of hormones. It was just emotion soup spilling out onto the floor i think it was just mostly relief yeah and like okay i think i still knew there's no there's no promises or guarantees in any of this and the universe doesn't owe me anything and just because we're having a great day doesn't mean anything but it was still like a big relief it felt like a really big hurdle we had gotten over and yeah i think after that initial excitement it was kind of a let's check ourselves there's still a long road ahead um, because not only do we have to go through a transfer and that has to take, you also have to carry <laughs> an embryo to term. Well, and I had never been pregnant before either. So I had never seen a positive pregnancy test. I didn't even know if I could get pregnant. I didn't know if I could keep a pregnancy. Like, who knows? Who has any idea about any of that? Like, and I was always trying to live to the next step. Like, let's just get to the next step. The next step is the transfer. The next step is positive hcg the next step is double beta the next step is that ultrasound like what i was just trying to look at what's the next step instead of like okay well if we have the transfer this month then the baby would be born that because i just knew i would be a mess (laughs) it but it just felt with with three chances that it was going to happen yeah and then we took a really long time off so we had a we had our our second retrieval um, at the end of 2016. It was like the fall, October or something. And then we didn't transfer an embryo until June. So we took some time off. I had a medical thing we had to deal with. And it was actually probably a really good reset for us where we could kind of focus on ourselves, go take the canoe on the lake, have some fun, you know, travel a little bit. We went to Morocco for New Year's. And it was really just uh, a kind of like emotional break from all this crap and all of a sudden we were ready for our transfer and it was June 2017 and it was right around my birthday because remember it was like the two-week wait yep. on my birthday and transfer went well we transferred one embryo because we knew it was genetically normal according to this test um, so we transferred one and that first embryo took and had a positive beta long story short had a pretty smooth sailing physical pregnancy it was definitely emotionally challenging after the ptsd of going through infertility and just very twitchy about everything and our daughter was born in march 2018 so we have an 18 month old but despite all of that i think our biggest takeaway was just how lonely the experience was and how 
we just felt so unseen and unsupported despite having people who were awesome it was needlessly lonely like yeah it doesn't have to be it doesn't it, have to be but it was it was and that was really the idea that started fruitful and so i had the idea for fruitful while we were going through all this and i thought wow it'd be awesome to be able to talk to someone about this who had been through infertility but wasn't really going through it anymore who had a little bit of perspective who was maybe a couple years removed and could empathize and offer some emotional support but who I also didn't feel competitive with because I'd made some really awesome infertility friends through this yoga class that I really liked. We had a Facebook group, but there was an element of competitiveness that I really didn't like. That was my idea for Fruitful was, okay, what if we created this platform or this community where people could connect one-on-one with someone who had been right where they had been. So it would have been great to have spoken to someone who had endometriosis, who maybe wasn't super religious, who didn't believe that everything happens for a reason like me. Because I was sick of hearing that. And I was sick of talking to people who would be like, I just know what's going to happen. I just know what's going to happen. Um, I'm praying for you. And that's great. But for me, I was like, God, I just need to like vent to someone. And I need to not have to feel like I'm filtering it for them. And so being... And, and me, as oh, the, uh. the onlooker, said, that's a great idea. Because... Which, you guys, he never says my ideas are good. He never says that. I always no, compliment you don't. Ideas. No, you don't. You're like... But what about, I don't know, you're a dude about it. So we decided to make it because Brad is a developer and is a really smart tech guy. And I had already kind of started an Instagram account and was kind of messing around and experimenting with what I wanted it to be and had some experience with marketing and branding and that kind of thing professionally. And so we put our heads together and we made Fruitful, which is a fertility mentorship service. So people sign up who are looking for emotional support, maybe struggling to find that in their relationships and friendships. And they are paired with a mentor, so someone who's been through what they've been before but is now on the other side of that experience. And so Brad built the technology behind that and built this algorithm that suggests matches based on age, where you live, what your diagnosis is, if you're into holistic stuff, yoga, if you're LGBTQ, if you're a single mother by choice, if you are pursuing donor eggs, donor embryo, whatever it is, Um, It can help suggest these matches. Um, And then I would, you know, review each application by hand and finalize each match and make sure everything looked great. And then the mentee and mentor could really connect in their own time and in their own way. They each get a confirmation email. Hey, Elise, meet Brad. Brad, meet Elise. Um, Here's your contact information. Now go be friends. And so we launched that in April 2017 and had no idea what to expect. It was like, okay, is anyone going to find any value in this? Is this a cool idea? What's going to happen? How do we get users? Like, what are we doing? I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go build a website and I'm going to build just a basic matching system. And then you'll be like, okay, cool. We could actually do this. That was pretty much what happened. I feel like you just kind of started making it and we're like, here, it's halfway done. I was like, shit, (laughs) now we have to actually do this. And I mean, we were nervous that what if we built this thing that was, you know, we were so proud of and if no one signed up. And you were sitting there on that day that we launched the site, like, this was a mistake. No one's going to sign up. Like, and I just said, you know, hey, if 10 people sign up and we make them smile, like, it's not like we burn that much time. Let's, that's great. We did something. We did, we did more than nothing. Um, And, you know, it's only up from there. Um, And we were really amazed at the initial response. Um, 
And that has only continued to grow as we've met so many incredible people, so many strong people that are going through so many different experiences. And that is something that is really cool um, in this is that we have seen no one's story is really the same. Mm-hmm. Um, people are dealing with so many variables. And the thing that ties all these people together is they are all seeking the common goal of building a family and they have love to give and they want to achieve that. Um, and we are able to just facilitate a tiny bit of light and support in that really difficult journey. Yeah, we talk all the time about how fruitful is really like a tool in your toolbox. So not meant to replace therapy, not meant to replace support groups, not meant to replace acupuncture or anything else. It's really just an added tool. It's somebody else, it's that big sister or big brother who you know has your doctor's appointment on their calendar and he's gonna send you a text or he's gonna say, oh shoot, you have to go to that baby shower tomorrow. I'll help you think of an excuse why you can't go. Or wow, you told your parents and they didn't react very well. Like, let's talk about that. Let's talk about why that happened. I'm here for you. And that was really, I think the power of what we were trying to build and like the power of getting this community who's so empathetic and so supportive on Instagram and Facebook and all these places here's a way you can do it one-on-one in a really impactful, meaningful way. Like, that's the coolest part. And I remember even pitching this idea to a couple dudes who had no idea what I was talking about. And they were like, well, why would anyone sign up to be a mentor? Why would anyone donate or volunteer their time to help somebody else? I was like, dude, I don't know how to explain empathy to you. I don't know how to explain trauma to you. I don't know how to explain altruism to you. And that was when I was like, God, this community is misunderstood. And God, it must suck to be a dude. (laughs) You're a good one. You can stay. But gosh, I was like. It super sucks to be a dude. In 2019. It sounds really hard for you. uh, It is an uphill battle every day. Good Lord. So even though our fertility story is quote unquote over, we're still so committed to helping this community and helping support those people going through infertility. It is such a shitty terrible experience and we want to be able to tell real stories about real people and what they're going through and it's not always pretty it's going to be messy it's not always having a happy ending it's not always going to be easy to hear some of it's going to be pretty tough but it's always going to be real and that's what this podcast is really about it's about shining a light on some of these stories hearing from real people who either work in the infertility space have gone through it themselves or who have some kind of advice or insight or something to help us all kind of get out of our own way and learn a little bit more about the process ourselves and how we can ask for the support that we really need Thanks so much for asking me to be on this with you. It was fun, and I'm always happy to relive our story and and talk about it and share it with others. Thanks for being my very first guest. Be back anytime. Awesome. Well, we'll see if you get invited back. You know where to find me. (laughs) I do. Hiding in the corner developing your app. Oh, my gosh, you guys. (laughs) Walked in the basement in a cage. He is not a prisoner, you guys. He (laughs) likes working on Fruitful. I promise you. I promise. Thank you. Love you. Love you too. That was Been There, Injected That. It is a new podcast produced by Fruitful Fertility, hosted by myself, Elise Ash. Thanks for tuning in. 
If you liked what you heard, please subscribe, please rate us, check out our website, send us an email, let us know what you're liking, what you're not liking, what you want more of, what you want less of. This is something new to us and we are just excited to be helping spread the word. So thank you so much.